the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. Smooth like butter, sweet like honey. Looks so good like she made of money. She's blonde, five foot two, and 102 pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. It's a woman's world. This is not Andrea K. Not at all. I am Justin Hart. I'm in for Andrea this week, today and tomorrow, my last days. It's been a tremendous week with you, Noah. Thank you. What a- Always great to have you here on the show, and I'm just hoping that Robo Justin stays away. Uh, yeah, I-, I am too, but the insidious internet has a way of being kind of leaky. You know, like these vaccines are leaky, like everything is leaky these days. You know, the economy is leaky, your jobs are leaky, everything's leaky. AI is kind of leaky. It, it can get anywhere. It's, it's you know, it, it's basically, you, there is no mask that is going to stop this aerosolized AI. You just have to know that, Noah. So just be warned. Uh, look, uh, today is day two, as I said yesterday and predicted. That is the beginning of the political campaign season. The two big hitters are now officially in the race. Governor DeSantis of Florida versus Donald Trump on the primary side of the Republican part of the aisle. Yesterday, Governor DeSantis made his debut a little rocky at first on Twitter. They uh, they have this thing called Spaces, which is basically like kind of a combo of radio slash podcast slash broadcast slash chat group room thing. I, I go there all the time, actually, and uh, over the course of a couple hours, you can have hundreds of thousands of people join up. Well, Elon was the host of this Spaces. Elon owns Twitter. He has 140 million followers or something like that. And so when he tweeted out to his crew, to his homies, hey, come on in, it broke the internet. And it didn't work well, actually. Say what? Yeah, it did. It was crazy. But also, you note, I, I noted there was one employee who uh, lists his um, bio on LinkedIn as the chief engineer at Twitter who said, I had a great time working at Twitter today, but he resigned. I don't know if that had anything to do with the crash, but it was a little bit embarrassing for uh, for all those involved. Uh, but they did get it going about 20 minutes late. Uh, DeSantis got up there, gave his little spiel about uh, what he is doing in the race, how he uh, intends to run it. And then they had a conversation. It was, it was unlike any other kind of campaign launch. I've been involved in campaign launches before. And usually it's over a pulpit. You got a lot of people. You hand out the placards, bumper stickers everywhere. Uh, someone comes around back and makes sure that there's a nice diverse crowd in back of you standing on the risers and everything. It's a little bit controlled. And this one was too, but it was. I think it played to DeSantis's strong points, which is kind of his conversational detail about what's happening there. But it didn't take long for uh, President Trump to get back into the race. But before we go there, let's play this clip. Uh, this is from Elon talking about one of the reasons he bought Twitter in the first place 
was to sort of expand our reach of free speech. We could talk about that a little bit. Clip one. Um, we're absolutely committed to freedom of speech and a level playing field um, and just a vigorous debate. And uh, hopefully uh, this can be uh, a platform that uh, brings people of divergent uh, political views uh, to exchange those views and, and uh, perhaps some minds will be changed uh, one way or the other. And um, But it's just incredibly important, as you, as you highlight, uh, that um, the, the, the First Amendment is re- irrelevant if uh, all the media and all the and, and the government are operating in lockstep. It's uh, it, it makes you know the most important amendment, the one that was most urgently added to the Constitution, um, moot if you if you cannot have uh, free and open debate. Um, so so t- Twitter was indeed expensive, uh, but free speech is priceless. Well, I, I think that's well said. I, I know I had my own run-ins with Twitter over the last bit. Um, and uh, when Elon took over, I literally had, I counted, uh, 49 different colleagues who had worked with me in one fashion or in another on the COVID issues who had been kicked off of Twitter. They were there under pseudonymous accounts trying to just get back into the race. But their original accounts where they made a fuss about Everything from plexiglass to masking kids to vaccines kicked off of Twitter. Elon comes back, buys it in October. Uh, by the time the first Twitter files drops before the end of the year, those accounts are restored. And so I was really, really happy to see that there. And that's a great debate. It's gonna. It's a very, very excellent forum for both digesting information, partaking. Now, it is, it's a small portion of the population that actually goes there. So he went on a couple other shows, DeSantis did. Uh, but it didn't take long for Trump to come out swinging. And uh, so, yeah, we, we do have actually a couple ads right now from Trump hitting DeSantis. Clip two. The Washington established politicians like to talk about how they can be just like Donald Trump. The truth? There's only one Donald Trump. Only one who gave us the largest tax cuts in history, who gave vets the health care they deserve, and stood up to China and protected your job. Only one who kept us out of endless wars while destroying our terrorist enemies. Only one who fundamentally changed the Supreme Court, was called the most pro-life president in history, and relentlessly protected our Second Amendment rights and our borders. Why would we ever settle for Trump imposters? Make America great again. When there's only one, starting day one, who can make America great again. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. That's hard-hitting. No, you pointed out... What little staccato strings doing? What then? What was this? It's a, no. It's in, it, it's in the next one. In the next oh, ad we play a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. it's almost it's it's a very very similar musical yeah. selection than what we did in the DeSantis ad yesterday. Well, the ads back and forth on the political campaign are gonna come fast and furious. In our next segment, in a few minutes here, I'll I'll tell you about kind of what it takes to do fundraising. And fundraising numbers are in. Uh, DeSantis brought in eight point two million dollars. Over the last 24 hours, and that is an excellent haul uh, for you know your first national campaign. Uh, by comparison, Donald Trump uh, in November when he announced he brought in I think it was nine uh, nine nine million straight up nine million. So this is a good good bout towards that. 
uh, comparing it to other numbers when Romney kicked off, I think he had 6.5 million. Uh, there are a lot of things that that uh, are going to be uh, heated up, and one of them absolutely is going to be the money race. So watch for that. Right now, the 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 money is actually favoring DeSantis. He has more money in the bank. Uh, he has a, a a lot more money as far as the packs that are joined with him and otherwise. So we'll see how this tempers out. It's going to be quite the 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 rapport there. So watch out for that, and uh, we'll see where uh, where. Well, as I was are. telling you before the show too, I'm just I, I I'm a little disappointed in in both sides that they're kind of attacking one another. We should really be focusing on the Democrats that have destroyed the way of life here in this country. And they can very easily have a healthy competition and may the best man win. Yeah, it's going to be interesting too, but interesting point too, they're attacking each other on issues that the Democrats don't really care about. So that's a little different than years past where if you attacked someone and it might be an issue the Democrats would uh, lambast you on. But right now, it's basically it is. But it is tearing the base apart a little bit. And uh, I'm not sure exactly where it spans out here, but uh, we'll have our first debates coming up in a few months, I think. Uh, the stage is still getting full, though. There are a lot of candidates above there, and that that could eat into uh, what is the other. You have the the base of Trump supporters, and then you have the other. So uh, I, I'm not quite sure where it all pans out. Do you see out. anybody else jumping in? Well, there's a chance that you might see Governor Youngkin, although I don't think that's the case in Virginia. You might see Brian Kemp from Georgia get in. Uh, a lot of times people get in just to sort of make waves. I think, is Mike Pence actually in this race? Uh, I I thought he was officially, and now I'm not so sure. Yeah. Well, uh, it doesn't stand a chance. A lot of these folks, the, the, the way these things operate, folks, you need to know is that they, they when, when you become at this level, you're not only supporting yourself and your career – you're supporting hundreds of consultants and people as well. And so just like a business, you're trying to keep that that thing afloat and the people that have uh, surrounded themselves and placed their careers on you. So um, apparently the- I just double checked and there's super PACs that are trying that are trying to launch to fund it a potential run. Mm. Mm. So he's not officially in the race. Oh, that'd be fun. All right. Well, when we come back from the break, we will uh, discuss some more things around the news, politics, something woke happening just north of us in Dodgers land. That's a fun story. Justin Hart in for Andrea Kay. You guys don't live in San Diego. You may not have a little something we have here called May Gray, <laughs> where um, it's it's. I, I don't think I've seen sunshine now, solid sunshine for days. I mean, in its in uh, t- today, it was a little tiny bit drizzly. It was low sixties when I took my boy Gator out for a walk this afternoon. I was so cold, I had to whip out my Sherpa line hoodie from Iron Mountain Outfitters. It's May is not like a glorious, super warm, great month for us here in San Diego. So uh, we it, even when we have a warm day, it'll still get cool at night. So don't forget Iron Mountain Outfitters. That's the place to go to for everything that you need from working. If you're a working man or woman and you need some hardworking working gear or you just like the look of it because they look amazing and they last super long. Um, Iron Mountain Outfitters has the best selection of Carhartt pants. They've got an entire 
entire wall of them in all different sizes and colors, and they look amazing. They still have great stuff to wear for cool, chilly weather, like May Gray we've got right now. And it was so chilly today. I mean, my Sherpa line hoodie is super warm, and I really needed it today. But they also have an amazing selection of spring and summer stuff as well. So don't forget Iron Mountain Outfitters, 8493 La Mesa Boulevard. Look for the standing bear outside and whatever it is you need, whether it's cold weather, hot weather, travel gear, accessories, anything that you want, they have it there at Iron Mountain Outfitters. And let me tell you, the prices are better than you would have anywhere online. So we know that your money needs to go far and we want it to, and and you you want it to not only go far but also be on quality stuff, right? So go to Iron Mountain Outfitters. Speaking of non-quality stuff, I hate to even include this conversation what I'm about to tell y'all with our Mountain Outfitters, only the greatest store ever. Love you, PJ, if you're listening. AK, Dynamite in a Dress, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, don't call her fake news. It's the Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Next segment here, around the 6.30 mark, we'll be talking with uh, Stanley Ridgely about his book, new book called Brutal Minds. The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities. But, of course, we don't even have to go to school for that. We can go to the ballpark. Uh, There is this controversy brewing north of us here. Uh, This is hitting me really hard. Yeah, the the Dodgers, right? Now, uh, this is is a little crazy. There's this thing called uh, the Sisters of Indulgence. And, basically, it's a radical group of... Transvestites, right? Or uh, cross-dressers? It's what, what, what's the term? I think it's. I, I think they're. Yeah, the cross-dressers promoting trans agenda. Right, exactly. So it, what, what's happening is they invited them as part of you know it's Pride Month coming up here, and so everyone gets into the game here. And the sister, the sisters of perpetual indulgence, they have this uh, gay Pride night festivities. Uh, and this they were going to get some awards, but basically, when you see what they do, it's a big set of anti-Catholic hostility and bigotry. They dress like nuns, so they're making fun of the sisters right there, and they dress in full drag and regalia, and then they do a drag show. They do a drag queen show on this whole thing, and it's it's hugely embarrassing. So the Dodgers decided, okay, that's a little bit much. And they got they, a lot of pushback from from their fans. They did, and they, and, and they they disinvited them. Of course, a lot of Hispanic folks are, have deep Catholic roots, and and they basically pushed back on them. But then the pushback went the other way. The seesaw went back and forth, and uh, these are the folks, the folks on that side, they'll shake you down, right? They'll they'll basically say we will we will find a monetary way to completely devastate you, right? And so they got reinvited, and uh, the Dodgers had to put out a very nice little Instagram picture showing that they're you know their complacence, their obeisance. And I'll right? tell you what, Justin, and this has gone uh, from a sports perspective. I was already taking a hiatus from the Dodgers this year. They traded one of my favorite players. Something fun that I usually do over the years. Yeah, and then this happened, and I really got to thinking when I found out they were reinvited mm. over something like this. I don't know if I want to go back. I've I've got a solution for you, Noah. Just have that hiatus one hundred percent of the time. Don't support the Dodgers ever. Well, that, ever that, no, no, seriously, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm thinking about right. because this is not acceptable. No, and so they they brought him back. In fact, the they they basically did a mea culpa 
in this Instagram post where they talked about the importance of listening and everything else there they 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 basically oblige you know obliged themselves in in a prone position towards these people to bring them on and so these people are going to be there well and as you said they have a huge uh catholic uh base of fans and i can't imagine i'm the only christian out there that's like you know what you guys go through with this and I'm done. Yeah, because it's one thing just to come in there and, and do your queen parade, whatever you want to do. You know, hey, look, I love The Birdcage, one of my favorite movies. Oh, the Robin Williams movie? Yeah, yeah. And then the musical yes. La Cage aux Folles is a fantastic musical, right? It's it's very entertaining and it, it's got a decent batch too. It's really fun. But, you know, th- there's a part of it where they realize they're not taking themselves seriously. But when you come in and you're dressed in the holy garb of sisters, right? This That's isn't just a level. this isn't just like an innocent sort of sister act type of thing. This is basically making fun of that in distinct ways, and it's 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 burlesque, so it's it's pretty uh, pretty blasphemous. Well, what I'm t- you know they're doing this, so, you know, supposedly one of the reasons to be inclusive. So they're being inclusive to one community while making fun of and poking in the other in in the opposite direction and pushing against Catholics. That's not inclusive, right? Right. And, and, and of course, this comes on the heels of what we were talking about yesterday with Target, right? Target brings in this artist uh, who typically is, is drawing self-avowed satanic sort of stuff. One of his pieces uh, that he sells on his own store is Satan Loves Pronouns, right? To each his own, but I'm not sure that's the influence I want selling pride products in Target, Right. And then on top of that, we had multiple people. I know Benny Johnson today went through Target himself and showed the the regalia of outfits, swimsuits, paraphernalia, bags, and everything else there from toddlers on up for all of this stuff, right? And it's, look, if you want to do that, that's great. I just don't want to see it in my face all the time, right? It's It's like this great meme I saw, which is it's Pride Month. And someone's up against the wall, and there's a tuba covering half their body, and they're like, "It's Pride Month!" Bop, 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 right? I just, I, I don't need that noise all in my life. If you want to do what you want to do, that's fine with me, but don't slam it down my kids' throats. It just seems inappropriate, right? Especially when we're talking about the LGP and the T, right? The T is where all the challenges come. Even Douglas Murray, who is gay himself, he has a fantastic book out called "The Wisdom of uh, Sorry the uh, uh, the Madness the, the Madness of Crowds," and he talks about this issue distinctly. One of the things he talks about is that when you look at all the acronyms, right, the L G, the the G, the the B, and the T, he says the L and the G have real questions about the B, whether they're actually legit who they are, right. But the L and the, the G, they don't get along famously either. There's no, like, common places where the L and the G gather, right? And then everyone is suspicious of the T because the T's make them look especially bad because they're like, are you trying to turn the L to the G or the L to the S or what's going on there, right? And and I went through, you know, so you got the plus, right? Because every single year we add a new letter to this long alphabet. And I thought the other day I saw a number two. I thought like I saw the number yes. two at the end. Yes, LGBTQ2 plus. Two, two spirit. Two spirit. Because, you, you know, your your spirit could be in, divided in half like Harry Potter or Voldemort. 
No, no, it, it, it gets better, though. So in San Francisco, right, they're, they're trying this um, monthly income, right, the, the basic income. Oh, the universal the universal, the, Yeah, the universal UBI, universal basic income, but they're starting with the most aggrieved parties. So if you are transgender, you can apply for it, and they'll give you $1,000 a month. But they've also extended it out because, of course, you have to. To 96 other sexual or gender dispositions. And, and not only that, they, they had to go through, because it's, it's not enough to say lesbian, gay, tri, you know, transgender, bisexual. You have to do it in all the languages because they mean something different. So they, so they have literally 90 of these things. And and basically, you have to choose you know, from amongst them. I'm like, and now you put the variables of not only your disposition sexually but what the gender is two to the factor of 90 you you do the math it's it's quite the exponential range of what you can identify right even the great sam harris who is a man of the left he had one of the best lines he said if your identity is the most important thing about you you're doing something wrong all right i think he put it more kindly he said uh it would be nice to see that your identity is not the most important thing about you. And it's true. And it used to be when I grew up, right? And I had lots of gay friends. I was in theater. I had, I was in San Francisco area, right? And I had a few, just a few come out in high school in the late 80s. And, you know, they were, they were, I consider them pretty brave to go do that and everything else. And that was always the ticket, right? No one would ever choose this because it's so brave, right? But now, now the, the script has flipped. Right? Why wouldn't you come out as one of these letters? You you got a whole month to yourself, right? And that's fine. Look, I even my own family, but it just it just it's really it, it. What's interesting are the 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 surveys that they do of people and this next generation. Like twenty percent of them identify as one of these. But I think it you know the kindest interpretation, and I I have you know family members who have gone this way, and that's fine. But my kindest interpretation is they basically want to be inclusive. And I can understand that, okay? But, but what's also funny is they ask them then about their sexual preferences and actual habits. You know, Who are they getting down with, right? That hasn't changed. It's still like it's a, like they're, the identification as one of these things went up like 15%. But the identification of like their actual, you know, acts of what they do in their lives and who they partner with, who they want to marry, went up like 3%. It shows you that that's more of a uh, social inclusivity, social norm kind of a thing. Social contagion, yeah. And for our last minute here this segment, Gavin Newsom, right? Good old Gavin. Yeah, so he accused the the Target CEO of selling out because it was rumored that the board met and that they were going to cram all these things to the back so as not to offend anybody. And by but he, he went to say that what that that he he was disappointed they removed the Satan guy, right? And so uh, here here's what he says: he says CEO of Target uh, Brian Cornell is selling out the LGBTQ. He he didn't say two. He's already he's already in the, in the doghouse. He, he, uh, the community to extremists is a real profile in courage. This isn't just a couple of stores in the South. There's a systematic attack on the gay community happening around the country. Now we just want to live our lives. Wake up, America, he says. This doesn't stop here. You're black, you're Asian, you're Jewish, you're a woman, you're next. Everything is just defined 
by these immutable characteristics they have. But the question is, are they are they really that immutable? Because like the L and the G are fine with having immutable characteristics. I was born this way. But the T, they kind of want to flip the script. So is it software? Is it hardware? That's a tough question. We'll have to get Douglas Murray once one time on the show. He's a good one. All right. At the end of the break, we're going to talk to more woke stuff. Mr. Ridgely has a new book out. Justin Hart in for Andrea K. Andrea K. Telling you like it is, all while eating a donut. The Andrea K. Show on the Answer San Diego. I remember the summer of 1988. I was on a exchange group into Russia. I was in Moscow with about 19 other American kids from the Bay Area, and that was quite the experience. I remember uh, there was a, a guy outside our bus one time, and he was selling T-shirts on the bridge that goes across just before you get to Red Square. And uh, I, th- I can't remember if they were John Lennon T-shirts or, or if they were uh, kind of kitschy uh, uh, T-shirts of, of Stalin or Lennon or what the deal was there, the other Lennon. And so uh, we bought one, and as we get onto the bus, we see a car pull up. And he's instantly ushered into that car, and I thought, oh my gosh, I just killed this guy, right? (laughs) But we had a a very kind college-age girl who was making her way uh, around with us. She was our our handler, right? But she was was the prettiest girl we ever saw in Russia, (laughs) which... Our next guest will probably understand what I'm talking about. Like it was just, it was just, un, it was inordinate. It was crazy. But I've come to realize that yeah, she was probably KGB. Uh, she had been trained for many, many years in her tactics. And I don't know where she is today, but I, I remember we all fell in love with her until we realized that she was probably a spy, and was we were meant to fall in love with her. So, but we, uh, I want to, I want you guys to fall in love with this next book. Uh, we have with us Professor Stanley R. Uh, Stanley K. Ridgely. PhD, A Brutal Minds, The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our University. just came out last week. Uh, Dr. Ridgely, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. I enjoyed hearing you talk about your trip to Moscow. Yeah, well, I, I think you, you spent some time over there. So tell us about uh, what was sort of your authority in understanding how to, how to apply the history of that great red scare over to our, uh, our, our endeavors right now in the university. Well, you know, Russia has changed an awful lot since those days. Um, I, I was there, and there. I visited there, there when it was the old Soviet Union. I also uh, attended college there uh, at Moscow State University for for one summer, uh, but going back uh, prior to the uh, to the dissolution of the Soviet Empire uh, in 1991, the Soviet KGB, as you mentioned, was very active and they were very skilled in terms of hospitality to the West, uh, deception, disinformation campaigns, and also very skilled in the brainwash. Um, their uh, brothers in arms, the Communist Chinese, are were um, probably even better. And the uh, than the Soviets, they're still in operation, as a matter of fact. So what we find is that um, in this country, the only place where the brainwash is practiced with any great um, uh, degree is American cults and uh, on university campuses, wherever social justice education and transformative education is being practiced. There, anytime you hear those words, the brainwash is in effect, and I can say that with uh, a. A large degree of confidence. So, give us an example on campus that you witnessed or that you've written about that really exemplifies this. 
Well, the, the idea of the brainwash, first of all, you have to understand what it is rather than allow people to just kind of come up with their own definition of it or conception of it. It's not really the Manchurian candidate kind of you know, strobe lights and uh, physical coercion. It's a psychological manipulation program and behavior modification designed to change someone's belief system. And it's done um, very subtly, uh, certainly in, in the United States where we have those pesky individual rights, uh, less subtly in uh, places like communist China or North Korea. Uh, and the idea is to destabilize a person's belief system by attacking the sense of self and the sense of identity. And this is standard practice ever since the brainwash was created first by Kurt Lewin, an American social psychologist in the 1940s. It was a three-stage process designed to apply to criminals to help them to, to prevent them from uh, recidivism. And the idea was to unfreeze their belief system, change it, and then refreeze the new belief system. And he called this re-education. And it didn't have such an unsavory connotation to it um, at, at the time. Uh, but yeah, over time, you know, you and I both know that the re-education camps has become a staple of, uh, of um, a communist indoctrination. So they changed the name of it. They being those work, who working in education schools with social justice education, they changed mm. it to transformative education ah. to get rid of that to get rid of that unsavory and they still use transformative education well we saw this in microcosm here in covid right when yeah. when basically yeah. uh, i mean i have college kids and you know if these were my grandparents or parents right in the late mm-hmm. 60s yeah. my parents grew in college in the late 60s they would have thumbed their nose at a government regulation telling them they would have stuck it to the man but our college kids dutifully donned the masks Put that on all of their social media uh, and, you know, got vaxxed up to the nth degree. It seemed like it was kind of a, a microcosm there. And the one thing I can attribute it to is that the risk and of, of being captured on social media in the wrong place at the wrong time without a mask or without a vax was far greater than sticking your neck out against it. Is that about right, or what What sort of uh, illusion can you say about the last three years when it came to our college campuses? Well, you, you know, it's it's kind of a grand experiment, experiment almost a social experiment, uh, of what was going on on the campuses in their country, generally speaking. On the campuses, of course, these uh, universities, uh, my own included, uh, were very uh, compliant with government diktat, and um, certainly vaccinations were required. I did not get vaccinated. I got a, I, I received a religious exemption. I'm not vaccinated, not boosted, had no problem whatsoever. And I'm in, a, I'm in the highest risk group of, uh, of folks who, uh, who, if you contract the disease, you supposedly uh, it's life-threatening. I've never had any problem at all with, with, with COVID. Uh, and I work in a, in a profession where I meet lots and lots of people all the time uh, in the classroom, of course. Um, but, but the... Um, the atmosphere on campus, you know, the, the idea of you must comply or you're going to be kicked out of school um, to young people. When this the government authority and it's combined with, say, the university authority is telling you to do something, and it's safe. And you've got the uh, campus uh, health authority saying it's safe. Mm. <laughs> um, then then it's it becomes, you know, you uh, that combined with the ostracization of of having, uh, you know, those who don't agree with that sort of thing being uh, ostracized as being somehow on the outside, no matter the prestige of the physicians saying that, hey, maybe we need to take another look at this. So, yeah, it, it, was, a, it's a, it was a wonderful, if you, if you looked at it from a certain perspective, it was a wonderful test case of, of compliance, group compliance, um, and, and seeing uh, groups of students masked up in my classes, 
uh, it was certainly uh, certainly an experience. Well, and, you know, uh, I, I, and I've seen this chart before, and I wonder if you can sort of speak to this. It showed, for example, the ratio of university-level administrators versus actual staff and teachers and students, and it went up exponentially over the last 30, 40 years. Is that part of this plan of indoctrination? It's exactly, it's, it's a key component of the plan because ask yourself this question, I'll go ahead and answer it for you too, is where are these people coming from, who's training them, and to what end, to what purpose? Well, the answer is they're trained in schools of education. Uh, in graduate programs called student affairs or higher education management or educational leadership. And they're receiving an indoctrination themselves in crypto-Maoist Marxist uh, ideology that is sourced from what's called critical theory and uh, critical pedagogy. These people graduate from these programs, and they move into jobs on the college campus created just for them uh, and no one else. In fact, the job descriptions are you know, are written for people who come out of the, the very programs that generate these these graduates. And it's a very incestuous uh, um, program in the sense that they're hiring their friends. Uh, once they enter the program, they become, uh, rather, they enter the, uh, the bureaucracy, they immediately seek uh, higher credentials, and they'll gain the um, complicity of their bosses who then sit on their dissertation committees and who pass them on through. And these are not difficult degrees, if, if you know what I mean. Moreover, they're all coming out of the same place, the same education schools, and they all have the same uh, ideology. Education schools were colonized a long time ago, in the last 20 years, with um, uh, critical, critical theory, neo-Marxist theory, and critical pedagogy. I'll tell you, the patron saint of education yeah. schools today is, is Paulo Freire. And uh, this guy was a Marxist. Um, but the thing is, you can't sell Marxism in this country, at least you couldn't 20 years ago. So you had to find a front man, like a gangster finds a, uh, <laughs> a front man to launder his cash, uh, dirty money. They found this guy, Paulo Freire, a Brazilian Marxist, who they used to launder their dirty theory. And so, you know, you, well, no, I'm not a Marxist. I'm a, I'm a Freirean. And uh, people look at this. He's a Brazilian guy. He was a Brazilian guy. And, and so this is how they managed to pull the wool over um, the eyes of most people in higher education. And so, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said it's the bureaucracy. At Stanford, I think the bureaucracy outnumbers the students. Something like 15, there's 15,000 students and, and slightly more than 15,000 bureaucrats. It is a key part of what I talk about. Well, and then and the other component of it is that the cost of uh, of universities seems to be going through the roof. They could, I've seen this other chart which shows, for example, the average inflation of say a banana and gas and car and housing compared to the inflation of the average price of an education at the university level, and it's like a ten x fold increase over the last and compared to anything else. Uh, it's a crazy see. Stay with us. Uh, stay with us, Doc, just through the, the break. I want to talk to you on the other side about some of the historical stuff because when you get about where it ends up, that's when it gets right. scary because we've seen things collapse already. Uh, Justin Hart in for Andrea Kay. Dr. Ridgely with us on his new book. Be back at three. Andrea Kay. Bringing the world a much-needed reality check. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Talking right now to Stanley Ridgely. New book, Brutal Minds. You can get that on Amazon. Brutal Minds, the dark world of 
left-wing brainwashing in our universities. You know, I'm reminded, uh, Stan, about the the different end games here, right? You you could have right. something like you see in, in China or Laos or otherwise, which is basically 50 years of just uh, crazy disaster mm-hmm. and takeover. Or, uh, you know, for those who have been partaking in the revolution, you could end up like uh, Arthur Kussler's uh, character in Darkness at Noon. I think it was uh, yeah. Nikolai Rubikov, who basically ends up shot in the head because he didn't toe the line in the appropriate way. He wasn't yet converted to the new conversion of the new education. Tell us about the outcomes of these terrible scenarios. Well, well first of all, um, um, we, you and I view the university probably in the same way as a kind of a repository of the best that has been thought and said, you know, based in logic, reason, progress, scientific methods, that sort of thing, passing it on to the subsequent generations to add their knowledge. These folks that I'm talking about here, the brainwashers, the thought reformers, view the university in a very different way. They view it as a crucible of indoctrination, the idea that certain ideas have triumphed their ideas and other ideas don't really have uh, are able to pay the price uh, of admission. So what happens when you put these bureaucrats in charge and it's a circle of vice where they're hiring each other, they're growing in stature, they're growing in power, and they begin to exert a, uh, a uh, suppressive um, force on the college campuses, suppressing academic freedom. Faculty members, and you ask me where this is going, faculty members like myself, um, and my, bless my colleagues, I love them dearly, but they don't seem to understand that the threat uh, to the call to academic freedom is not Ron DeSantis and state legislatures. The the threat to academic freedom is is already inside the wire. Uh, they're behind us. They're in the administration, the, the bureaucracy, and right now uh, a lot of them are can be identified as in the DEI hierarchy, um, which is basically the uh, parallel to the old Soviet commissariat, um, making sure the, of the political reliability of, of faculty. And if you don't toe the line. Well, then we're going to either fire you, discipline you, um, or uh, simply you won't have a you won't have a voice here on the campus. And so that is the end game they're looking for. It's basically Herbert Marcuse's uh, view of the long march through the institutions that was articulated back in '68 to '72, and is now coming to its fruition. It's bitter fruits are being harvested now, where we're finding academic freedom is being curtailed uh, on a daily basis. Both, even in the STEM fields, um, as this, this woke uh, ideology begins to suffuse across the campus. And so the end game, if we don't do anything, is going to be a very lockstep, ideologically um, rigid college yeah. campus where uh, I think that's a very, you know, Huxley's Brave New World, uh, George Orwell's 1984, comes to, uh, to reality. But there are things we can do, and I think that uh, men, of, men and women of, of good heart and uh, courage We'll begin to act. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm thinking now of uh, these things come in waves. I remember this one wave a few years ago where this university professor is taking part in this campus protest against whatever, and then she's calling out, "We need some muscle over here!" Right? It gets very physical. Yeah. You think about the BLM riots of 20 years ago and how that sort of right. took over campus. It's still there. Well, what what's the solution? How do we counter this? I got kids going to college. I got another six kids at home who will be headed to college, too. How how do I change this? Well, first of all, bless you for the six kids at home waiting to go to college. Um, the um, I think that there are two solutions to this. One is long-term. The other is short-term. I speak to these solutions in my last chapter. 
um, I don't only articulate the problems, but articulate a whole series of actions that can t- can be taken um, by various actors, parents, students, donors, alumni. There's an awful lot of uh, levers of power that we have in our control that we can begin to push to exert pressure on boards of trustees to uh, re- to, to stop and then reverse these uh, the uh, malaise that's afflicting the, uh, the campus. And um, But most important, I think, right now is if you're a parent with kids in college right now, you're not looking for that long-term solution. You're looking for something you can do right now. And so information about the threat to um, to the students, um, knowing when you're in a threat situation, knowing what you can do about it, knowing what your rights are, uh, simply asserting one's rights and knowing well, knowing what those, those rights are and asserting them is enough to put a stop to these people because uh, in most scenarios these people are not brave. They're they are not the most stalwart of people. They have safety in numbers and they have safety in anonymity. And students have incredible power. Uh, on the college campus uh, right mm. now. And all they have to do is, is be made aware of this power, the power that the Constitution gives us, uh, the God-given rights that um, were given to us uh, by our Creator and that are articulated, uh, many of them, in the, uh, in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights. Um, so this, there is um, a solution to it. It's not going to be um, around the corner. But again, it's, the situation is not hopeless, and I show the way, chart a, a course that can lead us uh, out of this wilderness and perhaps to a to a re- rejuvenation, restoration of American higher education. Well, that's great. Can you give me one 20-second clip? Because I got two or three college-age kids, and they know everything. And so I have to be yeah. kind of patient about these things and everything else there. But the, what's the one sort of clip that you can give to parents? What one thing can they do? Teach your kids that there uh, is nothing new under the sun, and what they're learning Mm. that is new, fresh, and different, and innovative, and access to hidden knowledge is basically a fraud. It's it's as old as Plato, and the idea of coming out of the cave, the the allegory of the cave, coming out of the cave and seeing the reality out there, every snake oil salesman and is worth his salt has used that type of metaphor to say, what I've got is the truth. Recognize that they're not going to hear any kind of hidden truth when they go off to college. This is old wine and new bottles. Mm, that's a fascinating way to put it. I think you're right, though, and uh, hopefully they they realize that before they end up like Arthur Kessler's character, who is taken yeah. into a very cold room, and this might be the fate of some of those professors, and and uh, that's the last thing he knows. A bullet goes through his head, and that was it. That was the brutal regime that ended uh, years ago, uh, and hope it's still in, in many parts of the country, and I hope it never comes here. Uh, Dr. Ritchie, thanks for joining us. Where can we find you online? Well, you can find me online on BrutalMinds.com. One word, BrutalMinds.com. And uh, you can, of course, find the book Brutal Minds on Amazon or at your local Barnes & Noble. I will tell you, I will tell you that uh, Arthur Kessler does make an appearance in Brutal Minds. Oh, does he? Oh, great. I will definitely pick this up. I see the endorsement by my good friend David Horowitz. So uh, kudos, Stanley Ridgely. Thanks for joining us. Justin Hart. Great pleasure. Thanks. All right. Justin Hart in for Andrea Kay. We'll see you at the other side of the hour here. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.